God is interested in a couple of things. Our connection, our relationship with him, and also our connection and relationship with others. But sharing God's love and care to one another is not always convenient. It's not always comfortable. In this Bible reading, an expert of the law was asking Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? And this is what Jesus says. Reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 29 to 37. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I'll read from here. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Over to you, Pastor Paul. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Good Samaritan. It's one of our favourite stories, isn't it? It's, it's a lovely, lovely story. Back in the 70s, when I was at the SEM, um, minimal information problem with the rage. I don't know if anyone can remember them. It was a problem where you got basically one sentence of facts and then through asking questions to which you could only have a yes or no answer, you had to work out what the problem actually was, uh, and how you could solve it. One of my, I love them, one of my favourites was this one. If you've heard it before, that's okay, don't yell out the answer too quickly, let other people think about it as well. There is a man, he lives on the 10th floor of an apartment building. Every morning, he gets out of his, of his front door, takes the lifts to the basement, and drives to work. Every night, he comes home, drives into the basement, gets in the lift, gets out at the sixth floor and walks the last four floors. Why? Anyone want to have a guess? Pardon? The exercise. Oh, that's the classic answer. No, that's not the reason. He didn't choose to get the exercise. 
Pardon? To get home, yes, yeah. But why did he take the lift all the way home? Someone with some good thinking. Yeah, he couldn't reach the floor because he was short. He was a dwarf. So he could reach the basement button, but he could only reach as high as a sixth button. And so he had to get out and walk the last four floors. By the way, another common thought is he was having an affair with someone on the fourth floor, but that's not true either. Um, so why do people struggle with it? Why, why do people have difficulty working out the answer um, for a while? The reason is that when we get that idea with a, a man, a guy living, we think of a man that we know, six foot tall, five foot, ten foot tall, just your average person. Um, and so that stops us from actually getting through to thinking out, oh, there are other things about it. So we get constrained in our thinking. It's the way we operate. We use labels, and that's really important if you want to work out logic or do things quickly. Um, because if you had to have all the different permutations, you'd never make a decision. So labels are very useful in that way. However, labels have another consequence as well, because they restrict our thinking. Uh, we are limited in our thinking because this is the way that we think. These are the perceptions that we have. Um, they can uh, change um, our mindset. And we can also do that with people as well. We give people labels. We classify them. A terrorist, uh, a Labor voter, or a Liberal voter, a Muslim, um, an Aboriginal person, disabled, woke, a, rough, a redneck. The trouble with it, as soon as we label people, then it leads to prejudging. Because we know what they're like. We don't have to get to know them because we understand they are this. And that determines the way that we think about them. We don't have to get to know them because we already understand them. And that's the rub of the parable. That's where the parable speaks directly into the Christian life. The question Jesus is asking is, who is your neighbour? And Jesus tells us to show love to everyone. And us showing love, or the way we treat people, if you like, comes from our attitude. It comes from the way that we see and understand people. In the parable, it's the enemy, the hated Samaritans, uh, the Samaritan who acts as a neighbour. That's the last person that the lawyer and also everyone else who was listening to that parable would have expected to be the person who was a neighbour. In fact, for the lawyer and for the people who were listening to this story of Jesus, that story was not just confronting, that story was crazy. Absolutely crazy. It went against everything that the lawyer believed and everything that the lawyer had been taught. And perhaps because we love that story so much and because we look at it through Western eyes, I don't think we really understand just how crazy that story would have been to the people of the day and to the lawyer. To get an idea of just how crazy that story was, I have transferred it into a modern-day story. This is not a retelling of the parable. This is simply to give you an idea of just how crazy it would have been to the people of Jesus' day. So, 
We're going forward to September 2024. And I'm sorry, this is a football story, so if you don't like football, you're going to have to just bear it. 2024, the grand final, the ultimate South Australian grand final. Finally, Port are playing the Crows in the grand final. <laughs> the Adelaide coach, Matthew Nix, decides on the day to play his, his captain at the time, Rory Sloan, on Connor Rosie. Connor Rosie has had a brilliant season and, in fact, has won the, uh, the Brownlow medal that year. The game starts. In the first two minutes, um, Isaac Rankin, yes, we did get him from <laughs> the Gold Coast, uh, is taken out by one of the Port players. And then straight after that, Darcy Fogarty is also taken out by one of the Port players. What else would you expect from Port players, I say? <laughs> Five minutes later, there is a, an incredible collision, and uh, Brodie Smith, Wayne Millerer, and Sam Berry collide heavily. Brodie Smith breaks his leg, Wayne Millerer dislocates his shoulder, and Sam Berry punctures his lung. None of these players can take any further part in the game. So the Crows are down to the basic 18 players for the rest of the game. Unfortunately, in the second quarter, Rory Sloan um, just damages his hamstring. Unfortunately, he can't come off because there's no one to replace him. And for some reason, unknown to everyone apart from the coach, Matthew Nix decides to keep playing Rory Sloan on Connor Rosie. Connor Rosie runs berserk because uh, Roy Sloan can't keep up with him. Rosie has 47 possessions. He kicks six goals and is the best man on the ground. But despite this, despite the Crows playing short, they play brilliantly. And with 20 seconds left in the game, they are only down by three points. The ball is kicked into the Adelaide goal square. They're attacking goal square. And at the last moment, Connor Rosie comes in with a flight of the ball and takes an amazing, courageous mark to save the game for Port Adelaide. He walks back to take his kick. Rory Sloan is on the mark. Sloan is looking dejected because he has just hobbled after Rosie all day. Connor Rosie looks at Sloan and has pity on him. So he handballs the ball to Rory Sloan, who then kicks the goal, and Adelaide win the first showdown grand final. <laughs> Stupid, isn't it? Crazy. Would never happen. That's how crazy it would have sounded to the people of Jesus' time about the Good Samaritan parable. I don't think we get just how crazy it sounded. It went right against everything that they thought. That would never happen, that idea, that story I gave you, because Connor Rosie and my story went against everything, every rule of football, every instinct of any competitive game. But that's the point, and that's the point of the parable as well. Jesus wasn't interested in the game. He was interested and concerned about people, all people, any people, and he was concerned about them as individuals. When Jesus saw people, he did see them as a Samaritan or a Jew or a, a thief or a prostitute because that's part of who they were. But he also, and more importantly, saw them as children of God. 
Someone whom his father was searching for and reaching out for. And someone for whom he was going to die and sacrifice his life for. Jesus always related with and to and for people. He understood them. Um, he knew who they were. He knew what made them tick uh, and, uh, and, and how those things influenced them as people. He related to people. He understood them. And God calls us to also have that concern and that feeling for people, for all people. But I know what you're thinking. Sometimes that can be pretty hard, can't it? Sometimes it can almost be impossible. It's far easier to show love to someone who is attractive and charming than to some obnoxious drunk you run into at a party. To someone who's appreciative about the things that you do rather than someone who doesn't even say thank you. To someone who agrees with you rather than someone who always agree, disagrees with you and nitpicks. To someone who's positive rather than someone who's always negative and complaining. To one of us rather than to one of them, whoever us and them are. So how? If it's hard like that, how can we do it? Well, I think it's a matter of seeing people through different eyes. You could just clench your teeth and, and, and do it because that's what God calls you to do, but that's just duty. It's not really love. It's not really a concern for people. Seeing people through different eyes. Another one of my favorite stories, and you probably have heard this one because it's a common story, it's gone down through the wars, and it's interchangeable. So there's probably a truth in there somewhere, but it's a story that's been around for ages. And the story is this. It's set in one of the wars, um, and a German and Australian are involved. An Australian soldier comes across a German soldier who's injured. The Australian's immediate reaction is to take out his pistol to shoot the enemy. Before he does, the German soldier holds up his hands and shows the Australian soldier something. And he looks, and it's a photo. It's a photo of the German soldier's wife and two young children. Suddenly, the Australian soldier sees this person differently. No longer does he see him as an enemy. He sees him as a father and a husband, as he is a father and a husband. And he puts down his weapon. He sees him through different eyes. And that's what God calls us to do. Not to see people as labels, but to understand them, to see them as people, and to see what makes up who they are as a person. Seeing people through different eyes. There's one final thing I'd like to leave with you. That idea of seeing people through different ideas, I think, is a really powerful one, and I think we can understand it, and we can attempt to put it into practice. But what makes a Christian? Where's a Christian motivation for doing that? Couldn't everyone just do that? Yeah, they probably could. But there is a Christian motivation for it. Sure, we have the command from Jesus to treat people, our neighbours, with love. But the Christian response 
never starts with a command. Helmut Thielicke, and I've got a quote here from Helmut Thielicke, who's a German theologian from many years ago, said this. Is it really true that everything begins with the command, thou shalt? Or must it not rather begin with our first being given something? The gospel says to us, you cannot give anything whatsoever to your neighbor except that which you have already received. No person can give more than he has. First, something is given to you. And the real secret of our life is to remember this first thing which we have received and to learn the art of keeping in contact with our neighbour at the critical moments and passing on to him or her what we have received. And what have we received? We have received God's love shown to us in the suffering and death of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's that love that Christ tells us to pass on to others, the love that God has given us. And Christ asks us to pass that love on not just to those people that we like, not just to religious people like us, but to every person, even to our enemies, even to those people who get up our noses, even to those people who attack us. Why? Because in God's eyes, everyone, no matter who they are or what they are or what they do, everyone has the same value the same value that you and I do as well. And that value is the greatest, the value that was demonstrated in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for us on the cross. God calls us to see all people around us through his eyes and to then treat each person with whom we come into contact as God treats them. In the same way, and with the same love that God treats us. Amen.